life is continuous. You do not live life where you freeze frame an image for a hundredth of a second. Welcome to Escaping the Ordinary Podcast. If you are ready to be the best version of yourself and level up your life, stay tuned as we interview special guests who will bring you all of the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we are going to show you how with your host, Ryan T. Awesome. I'll, um, I'll click record and I'll do like a semi little awkward intro and then we'll roll. <laughs> cool. Hey, before you do how's your son? Is he good? Yeah, he's good. He's, um, I took him to kindy this morning. It was like his first day back. It's cause he's got, he was diagnosed with chronic lung disease, but it sounds way worse than it is. It's just right. like severe asthma. Oh, so okay. when he gets sick, it's like hospital, and then yeah. inhalers and steroids and lungs because he's got cerebral palsy. Right. So I, um, I'm a physio by trade. So I was a sports physio for a while, but I actually worked in pediatrics more than I oh. worked in sports. That's my jam. Like I love, love, love working with kids, especially kids with cerebral palsy. They're like my, my first love. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's wicked. I don't know how it happens, but in the, I think I was working maybe six, seven years in that field. And the thing that used to inspire me, I mean, the kids without a doubt, but somehow I swear to you, these kids would always land in the right place. <laughs> it sounds really bizarre, but the families that these kids land in, that just sounds really cold, but you know what I mean? Like that, it just that they're yeah, yeah. amazing, remarkable, remarkable humans. And every time, every time. So I don't know. So how, if you don't mind, um, yeah. cerebral palsy wise, what, what's yep. your... Yeah, so he was born 12 weeks preemie and obviously, yeah, oh, tiny, scary, tiny. Scary, scary stuff. Yeah, and then diagnosed at two with cerebral palsy and um, he's got a rare form. I think it's a taxic. Yep. Yeah, you know, like low muscle tone, coordination issues. Cognitively, he, he's turning six in a couple of months. So cognitively, he's probably at like a three, four-year-old. So he's not mm-hmm. far behind. No, but physically, yeah, he can't walk independently, can't talk, he's nonverbal. But he's just like, yeah, he's not the stiff type. He's, stiff you know, type. <laughs> he, I just think like stiff and loose, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I got yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> such a male brain, eh? <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's true though. That's the way it is. That's all good. Yeah. So other than that, like he can get around on a walker and, and stuff oh, like that. Right? And he's created his own sign language, which is interesting. Sometimes... Uh. I'm always like saying to my friends, I'm like, how is it, man? I'm like, dude, it's just like the longest game of charades. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, like, it's just a like process of elimination when he's trying to talk. I'm like, yeah. how, duck, hat, chocolate. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I got it. <laughs> right. That's pretty wicked. But along with that, you're still parenting a six-year-old who has, you know, frustrations and everything 100%. like it sounds simple, but it's got all the other, you're still parenting, which is hard enough on its own. I mean, <laughs> how many you got? You got a few kids, don't you? Three? Four. 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 Damn. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you. Yeah. It's fun times, but yeah, you've got a whole other la- level there. <laughs> There's so many of our family and friends like one more, you know, like that whole young parenting, yeah. like you got to have one more. Yeah. And I'm like, Mate, you can't even have my one for like a day. So like, yeah. <laughs> come back to me when he has a sleepover at your house and let me know like how you're feeling, you know? Yeah. It's exhausting stuff, isn't it? Like, oh, I 100%. Just, my hats are off 
for all the work that I know that you do and how emotionally taxing that must be. Like I say, being a parent full stop, but with this whole other level that you guys have. Mm. It's really inspiring. But it's a funny thing is though, Nikki, hey, it's like, that's all we know. Like, I honestly, like, I understand, but it's like, I don't know. We know no different. I mean, from the outside, we see other families and we're like, oh, that'd be so easy if we didn't have to carry them across the beach to get to the water or something like that. Something so simple, but I think you just grow into it. Yeah. You know, like we never feel as though, oh, it'd be so much easier like this. We're just like, oh, well, this is our normal, you know, for the last six years plus now. That's the beauty of who you are. I mean, you could easily not say that, but you've chosen to say that. That's what makes you guys magnificent. Oh, you're too kind. Which is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool way to be. I remember, I'll never ever forget one mother was talking to me because I, I would just baffle, you know, be like, man, I feel for you guys. And she, she gave me a reply similar. And she said she read a book once and the way they described it in a book was that they were planning to get on a plane and go on holiday. They were planning to go to Italy, but for whatever reason, their plane, while it was up in the sky, decided that actually Japan was where they were going. And she's like, that's what it is. Oh, I get not, it. It's not that we're not in Italy. It's that we're in Japan. Yeah. And it's not better or worse. It's just different. And I like, I was just this gooey mess on the floor. I was like, that, oh, wow. But that's it. And that's what you've just said to me. You've said to me the same thing. And that whole mind place that you have is, is freaking inspiring. I mean, I mean, that's such a cool analogy though. Hey, I mean, what the future holds, no one knows. So it's like, you're right. Well, exactly. You know? And like, nobody knows, regardless of where you've started. No, yeah. Nobody knows. I always had that thing with, with photos that I make that people, I remember people asking me, you know, what are you going to do with your pictures and what do you do? And the thing that enter them in awards and all of that. And, you know, that's just trying to take control of the life that your picture has. When in actual fact, as soon as you make it and as soon as you choose to put it out there, you relinquish all that control. And that's all over to the, the people who see it and whatever they do with it. And that's it. And it's such a, a great place to be, to be able to let go of that. So do you find then when you make your photographs, do you feel as though that sometimes it's better to hold them close rather than putting them out there? No, I don't. No, I don't. And that's been a wee bit of a journey to be in that place. But I've, I'd have never actually felt that way because they have a story and that was why they were created in the first place. And now that I know that that story moves people or has an effect on people, then it's more the reason for them to be out there. And I went through a wee patch where, I mean, it still happens. Facebook shuts down my account and Instagram takes pictures off and, you know, all the yada yada because somebody reports them because kids aren't wearing five layers of clothes that cover their entire body, you know. And I remember my husband saying, you know, that's, we probably should think about what's going out there. And I was thinking, well, you know, that's the whole point is that children have grown up in this amazing space where they are completely free and largely unaffected by society and all this crap that goes on with, you know, you shouldn't do this and you should do that. And and there they are being 100% courageous and vulnerable and 100% who they are. And that needs to be celebrated in my eyes. And that's where the photos started in the first place. And for me to take those photos now away from being shared is only going to send a message to the children that that is not okay, but it is okay. And so I, I now I, I can't take them off or, or stop doing it because the message it was sent them is 
far more important than any bullshit that anyone else mm-hmm. is going to try and put on me or them. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like that, no, and now I'm on a soapbox. <laughs> but I just, the message they send to the world and the message that they send to the, the children is, is huge. Like it's massive. And if we were to only put pictures on the wall or pictures out on the internet of our children or of our families or of whoever in clean clothes, clean, sitting in somewhere that doesn't mean anything to them, smiling or being made to smile, then the message they get is that that's what we value. That's what I value. And that's what the world values. And that's not the message I want them to have. I want mm-hmm. them to be celebrated for exactly who they are. And, and largely speaking, they're wild and they're free and they're complex and they're layered and they're everything. They're happy. They're sad. There's many, many layers to all humans and they're remarkable, right? And that's the pictures. I mean, the pictures need to reflect that. They need to be complex, multi-leveled, wild, free. The pictures need to be that deep and what we put out into the world and what is hung in our house, I think needs to be what message I want to send them and that they're celebrated for exactly who they are. I love that. So then right back then, Nikki, when you started, I mean, you, you were saying earlier, you've got four kids. You look like you live on a rural property in New Zealand. Right back when you started, like, was it like this when they were babies and you had your first child? Did you start photographing them in this way or did you kind of grow into that? And I mean, we spoke before, hopefully it makes the intro, but you're a physiotherapist and a pediatrics. You'd work in prior. So then what about the catalyst to starting the photography and now what we see today, which is this raw, authentic lifestyle of your children, which looks incredible. It's so drawing and and inspiring to see something like you produce now. But if we can go back and tell the listeners, yeah, where it all started and and how did it develop to what we see now? So it started horribly. (laughs) I was being really honest. Um, It started very infrequently. So I was actually went back to work with my first and then not with the second. But so yeah, it was birthdays and you know, it came out every now and then. I did a I did a bit of photography when I was traveling overseas and then and then didn't when I came home and it was yeah, it was pretty horrible. So our eldest went to school for a year. He went to a Steiner school when he was seven. Mm-hmm. And then we pulled him from that after a year. And that's when the photography really started because I was in this really strange place of so what do we do now? <laughs> our children aren't in school and we're supposed to be their educators and their parents. And we had family and friends like saying, well, how are you going to do this? And, and the kids are, they're not going to be educated. They're going to, you name it, it all came out. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going. And we also very much were, um, thanks to Kurt Steiner education, they're very big on no computers and no phones, no TV in the house until they're at least 12 or 13 when they believe their their brains and their maturity and their emotional can deal with all of that. So we were very big believers in that. So then we copped all sorts of flack from everyone about how they're actually not going to be able to survive in the world. So so I had the four kids at home and I was going to educate them. <laughs> educate, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, educate them. <laughs> and our beautiful schoolroom with wonderful poems and art and we were going to have the best time. <laughs> the kids, however, had other ideas because we did live <laughs> on a rural property and they were completely wild. It had been every time they're at home so of course they were like yeah yep. that's not going to happen <laughs> so there was this um the first few months was this massive resistance and fights and all the rest of it and I didn't know what I was doing and I was pulling my hair out and then I things got busy on the property and so I just let that all go and because I was able to actually step back 
and watch what they're doing, I, was, I realized that they were actually, they just learn to spite you. Like they seriously do little buggers. Like I, I remember this one day when my son was up on the shed roof and he'd made this plane and he was flying. It was just a cardboard plane and he was flying this plane. And he was telling his younger sister and brother that how the actual updraft worked with the, the wind and the wings. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, gradually the more I let them go, the more they just learn. I mean, they didn't learn everything, but they, they learned things to spite me really. So I just pulled more and more back. But in doing that, I then had people saying, well, now you're not even going to educate them. Like, how's this going to look? So I started taking pictures mainly just to record what we were doing and just to make sure, you know, that we weren't, it wasn't all completely crazy. But the further along the journey we got, the photos, they needed to be something else, I guess for me, but they needed to be more than just a document of what they were doing. They needed to be more of the story that I really felt like we were kind of on, on this journey. And it was more than just what they were doing every day. It was who they really were. It was how they interacted with themselves, with each other, with the world. There was just more and more levels to it. And so I, I just had to learn how to put that in a photo or at least how to touch on that in a photo. I don't think you can completely put that in a photo but I could do my best so that's where the photography kind of moved and grew and changed I guess to kind of where it is now so what we see then now Nikki is what are the ages of your children now oh they're old <laughs> no, um, my eldest is 16 and then we've got 15 12 and 10 okay and still all at home yes yeah, nice. So then what we see now then, Nikki, are you still making photos like you, you did when your eldest was seven and you pulled him from school and, and started that journey? I mean, you said it started horribly, but you grew into what we see now, obviously, like all photographers do, they they improve and grow. But are you still making photographs now of the children like you used to? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't push myself to make the photos and we've just moved to a new property and we're actually living in a shed at the moment. So there's a heap of work that we're doing, just trying to keep goats and paddocks. It's like, that's just really full on here. So I haven't actually taken too many lately, but it'll come out again. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's funny with the kids being older, it's different. I'm just trying to get my head around how different that is. Not too sure if I can even talk to how that's going yet, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so then what about your process, Nikki? I mean, I know when you came on my radar, I felt like, honestly, like if it was so refreshing to see, I mean, at the start, we spoke about what we're making an image for, but, and you know, it comes back to, you wanted to show the kids that it was okay to be authentic and be maybe different to what they normally would see on Instagram or social media or whatever. Mm. But like, I remember when I seen your images, I was like, that is it. Like, I want to do that. I want to document my son, my story for me, the black and white, the contrast like drew me in. And then I was like, would it be weird if I had one of Nikki's kids printed on my wall to inspire me? And then I, you know, started growing as a photographer and I, I heard about Sally Mann and I remember, you know, looking into Sally Mann's work and I was like, man, there seems to be a very close relation between not the images, but more or less the medium between yourself. So I mean, obviously you'd be aware of Sally Mann. Did, is she someone that inspired you to start creating how you do? Yeah, well, for sure. I don't know if she directly, insp- I mean, I, everything 
that appeals to you is going to inspire you in some ways in that respect for sure. But do you know Sergio Laran's work and Ernesto Bazan's work? I don't, but I'll definitely be looking into it. More of their work. I don't know what it is. I mean, everybody has something that inspires them. For me, their work just blew, just totally blew. That it sort of transcended just taking a picture of something that was in front of you and it, without sounding all kind of goopy, it just went more towards the poetry. There was something about their work, like for somehow they managed to transcend the present and the future and the past. Like it was all in one picture. And I, I didn't, I still don't know how exactly they did that, but that's what inspires me. You know, those pictures where those hard hitting pictures of something really beautiful and you see them, but once you've seen them, you've got it. But there's something about their pictures that you can sit with them and you still see and you still feel and they still move you. It's kind of like rather than a hard-hitting picture, it's like a slow burn kind of thing. That was what I wanted. Whatever it was that they had, it was that. And I was really lucky to go on a workshop with Ernesto Bazan two years ago in Mexico. Phenomenal. One of the coolest things I've ever done. And I learned that he doesn't teach how to take a picture but you get a little bit of an insight into where he's coming from. And there's so much in his pictures that he's so there with what he does. There's a depth and there's a depth of who he is that comes through his pictures. And yeah, he just talks about shooting with your gut or with your heart or whatever it is that is deep inside you and finding what you find interesting and following that rather than what's right in front of you and just, recording that if that mm. makes any sense i'm not sure if it does no it definitely does so then on a practical sense then nikki so you know photographing with your heart and you were talking before about how you can sit with an image and just keep looking at it i'm looking at your website now on your portfolio so i mean listeners i mean if you haven't checked out nikki you need to see what i'm talking about but well, there's a boot up the butt to try and get that updated. No, <laughs> no <laughs> straight you. up though, Nikki, for me, it's that I can literally look at your images or a single image and just be like, I don't know what I like, but I love it. And I could keep looking at it and there's something about it. I don't know. I can't put it into words. So everyone's going to obviously have their own kind of definition when they look at photographs. But what you're saying then, so if we can put it into practical terms then, Nikki, so yep. you did this workshop you know, you're probably inspired, made you look at things differently or photograph, like you said, what you love and enjoy. What about practical terms then? So it looks like you're going out with the kids in the farm or somewhere, you know, rural. And are you like setting up these shots? Are you just following them around and, and snapping? How does that look? Because I know okay. the photographers will be keen as to know about that. Well, first, you, if you knew my kids, you would know that <laughs> it's very difficult to set them up. So we've brought them up to be this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have tried occasionally. How about you just do that? And it's largely a no. So that doesn't happen <laughs> that much. But they will keep doing something if they are doing something. I'm like, just keep doing that for a little while. That, that's probably the closest I get to that. So they're not set up. But I think I just look for things differently. Like my friend Kirsten Lewis talks about feeling it somewhere in your body. If something makes the hair stand up on you or something makes you feel something somewhere to follow that, whatever that is. You don't even have to know why you're feeling it. Just follow that, which has been useful. One of the things I have been trying to concentrate on is looking at everything in the frame and that everything needs to be in the frame intentionally 
for a reason. And that is actually really, really hard to do. So I look at things that are symbolic, like there's a picture I have of my two daughters crossing a river and I love it. I love it for so many personal reasons, but also the river is symbolic. That was the last, one of the last pictures I took of my eldest daughter before she crossed a river, I guess, and becoming a young teen. And it's like the last sort of innocence picture. So all those and, and birds flying are symbolic. So there's deeper meanings in what you include in the picture. And I look for that a lot in, in the environment. Sometimes they're just personal to me, but I don't know, maybe sometimes that reads to people. And, and the other thing, actually, this is something I learned from Ernesto, is that when you look at things like geometry and shapes and light and shadow, that it's great to look at those things, but there's a difference between it being just what it is and something that's a slower burn or a deeper picture. And those slower burns are something that's less obvious, which is kind of hard to describe. So I've got a couple of pictures, which I did really like, but the symbolism was too obvious. And that's when you look at a picture and you're like, yeah, that's really cool, but there's nothing to hold you there. So I think when the symbolism or what you, you use is less obvious and it makes you feel something, but you don't quite know why. So that like the use of a blur or the use of part of a body, like if, if I was to use parts of bodies or parts of limbs or parts of objects in there, and to me anyway, that feeling of fragility or fractured, which is something that means something to me because I, I know that life is is fractured, it is fragile, that things are broken. And the use of blur is a similar thing, just that life just not being straight up, like there's grays that's just not black and white and whatever you might want it to be. Mm, it's interesting while looking at your work and explaining all that. That's also why I use black and white. To me, the whole concept of a photograph is so abstract. I mean, life is continuous. You do not live life where you freeze frame an image for a hundredth of a second. Mm. So it's abstract anyway. And that's why I love the black and white. It just plays on that even more. So you photographing in black and white in camera or are you editing color to black and white? I photograph in black and white in camera. I see in black and white. Yeah. You see a color blind? <laughs> no. <laughs> Somewhere in my brain, I must be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like just black and white on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely a drawing looking at your work. And I know when I've looked at immediate family from Sally Mann as well, really drawn to the picture because I'm, I feel like I'm not distracted by a lot of colors or one color in the frame that just doesn't make sense and takes me away from what I was trying to picture or, or work out from your image. Yeah. For me, when I shoot in color, I feel like I'm trying to really capture the way it was, but when I shoot in black and white, well, I try to go beyond that. And that whole abstract nature of it helps me with that. I don't really feel like a big desire to photograph things exactly the way it was. Mm. Yeah. And Sally Mann, I mean, her stuff is phenomenal because it, it holds all of that. I don't know whether it's symbolism, but everything she has in her picture, it all means something, you know, her environment plays into it. It all, her use of light is phenomenal. And of course that helps. So, hey, um, just staying on that, I know the photographer is going to be looking at your work straight away and going, well, what camera system she uses? And I'm sure they already all know that it's not about the camera. It's not going to produce Nikki Boone, Sally Mann or anyone else's photographs. But could you just give those out there that are keen to know what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. I think it does matter, actually. I think it does matter what camera you use. I mean, if you're thinking about something, so what Sally Mann uses, it plays yeah, into yeah. 
because it makes a big impact. But I think on a whole digital camera front, I don't know how much difference it makes. And I can mm. even, I've had a little Fuji, which I wore, like I used until it broke. So some of them are taken on a little Fuji. Some of them are on a Sony now, but there's been other cameras used phones <laughs> i don't know it, it's a variety to be honest most of it's on a 28 or a 35 mil lens if that helps yeah i mean look yeah sally man for the listener out there predominantly large format film eight by ten i'm pretty sure so mm. i mean yeah like you said hey nikki that's definitely going to play a quite a pivotal role in the way the images perceive with that that high megapixel negative as such Yes, but also it also plays into how she makes a picture. Yeah, very much so. She's going to come directly out into a photo. So it, it does make a difference. And, you know, if you carry a great big camera that you've got to set up on a tripod, it's going to make everything different to this little tiny point and shoot. Mm. So, yeah, it does. Make and your mindset when creating that image, right? Yeah, exactly. I remember I've, I actually just purchased a 4 by 5 large format and took it out and loaded up two frames. And it took me, I think it was just over half an hour to get those two frames done. I mean, my son wasn't going to wait around for me. Yeah, I was going to say, how on earth do you do that with this picture? <laughs> I was just like, okay, tripod down, the light's there. He can go yeah. running around in his walker. And then when he comes through, I'm just going to be like, stop for a chocolate. And then, you know, like, <laughs> and it worked, but then he blinked. And I'm like, damn it, I got oh, one more. no way. <laughs> <laughs> one more attempt. And that probably cost me about $30 for that oh, first failure. <laughs> that's where the growth and the learning happens, right? I mean, that's the whole thing with that. Like you've got to do something that puts you out there because that is where it all happens. So 100%. So, so then what's next for you, Nikki? I mean, the kids are growing up, right? Like the young adults now nearly. So what's next for you? Well, that doesn't stop because they're still my kids and they will always be. So that carries on, but I've been taking and uh, making more and more pictures for, for other families, which is really exciting. And it's the same story as far as I'm concerned, you know, families themselves are, chaotic, messy, layered, complex, and remarkable, amazing entities. And I just find it so fascinating to learn more and to try and photograph that to represent something that at least touches on how amazing they are. So I've been doing a bit of that. I've traveled quite a bit in the last three years and just photographing families, you know, not for necessarily for money, but just to do it. And that's been really really interesting so I, I don't know I mean that's what I would I'm looking to do more and more mm. of so do you find it difficult Nikki I mean your images are of your children obviously you have this amazing connection with them do you find it quite difficult to come into as an outsider I guess and kind of get that rawness with other families or is it more or less how you kind of set it up like we're going out and we're playing today and I'm going to be there type thing yeah it's different obviously but I look to stay with families for at least half a day and no less, hopefully for a whole day. And that makes everything different because if you hang out with a family for that long, they eventually, they don't forget you're there, but they will eventually, parents have to parent. You can only go so long where you're smiling and, and everybody's smiling the whole time. You eventually will go back to parenting and kids go back to kidding. And that's when things get really fun and really interesting. Sorry to jump in, Nikki, but with the way your family stuff that you're doing or looking at doing more of, is it what we normally see the whole smile and, and the family standing there or is it going to be like that, that rawness as such? It kind of, I'm just trying to paint a picture in my mind of how it plays out. Well, what I'm drawn to 
is not the smiling. So usually the first hour or so, you know, you take some pictures, but it's always the end of the day where the stuff that I'm really drawn to, mm-hmm. where I believe I make better, the best pictures really come. I mean, I had one family who who said that to me. They said we the best pictures came when we dropped our guard, when we let go. That's what I'm looking for. So true. That's so I mean, it just goes with everything I've said. I so strongly believe that the pictures that need to be out in the world, especially with this bullshit that we have going on on Instagram and, and Facebook, and that's what the world needs to see, I believe. And it's, it takes quite – I mean, I know it's super courageous to be a photojournalist and take the hard-hitting photos, but I believe it's just as courageous to make powerful pictures of people's everyday. Mm, I actually um... – I can't remember who was explaining it to me or if I heard a quote or something somewhere, but someone was saying the the best photograph made is when the person's obviously unaware. But to put that into practical terms, I actually did a photo shoot of my son in a studio. I mean, confined environment. It's sterile. You know, it's not like go around and go walking. Everyone knows they're going to be photographs. And I remember sitting there and he was staring straight at the camera, smiling, like just waiting. And I had this weird feeling like, you know, normally you'd go bang, bang, bang and take those photos. And I was like, I'm just going to wait. And I just waited and waited. And it felt like minutes. I thought to myself, I'm just not going to say anything. And, you know, he was sitting there just staring, staring. Honestly, it felt like five minutes, but it was probably five seconds knowing children. And um, I could just see his whole face just become bored and he just forgot I was there, but kept looking at me. And I'm, I remember taking that photo and looking on the back of the camera and I was like, I nearly cried. And anyway, I'm going out to pick up a 1.5 meter print of that image today. And it's like, the reason being is he was aware of my presence, but his, I felt like his, his muscles and stuff weren't so tense that it was, it didn't look forced and I can see through, I don't know. You felt it, right? Yeah, 100%. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you felt it. And that that's where it all happens. It's been part of this um, whole journey of unschooling and approach that we have. I realize that my kids aren't really here to please you or to be defined by you or even to obey you or be confined by you, that they are here to create and to discover and to explore and it's been through that process of letting go that they are actually the ones that free you. And that's bled into my photography till and just exactly what you've said. They're not there to be posed or, or for you to impart that on the photograph. If you let them, they will free you. And that is a beautiful thing for your photography. There are some amazing, amazing portrait work out there and conceptual work out there that's phenomenal but that's not me. And that's, I can't do that. And I genuinely believe that the real for me is magnificent on its own. Mm. And if I can do that any justice, then that's what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it on the head. It's, it's not for you. I mean, there's incredible portrait photographers like, but there's also incredible photojournalists out there. And it's like, everyone's doing hopefully what is purposeful for them. I always think as well, it, mm. obviously I photograph weddings, but I, sometimes I think, you know, when people get bored of your presence, that's where it's at. And that's when I, you know, they don't feel as though they have to do X, Y, and Z because everyone else did that. And it's like, let's just get them bored. So then they actually have a chat and then they actually show emotion and they actually forget about me and then bang, bang, bang. And I, I can see it straight away in your children, like, 
they're aware that you're there, but they're also so, so immersed in their surroundings and play and being children and being muddy. And it's just incredible, Nikki, honestly, like <laughs> I'm so inspired by your work. That's part of me celebrating their awesome courageousness just to be who they are and to be vulnerable like that. And that's where that I look at these and I think, you know, how incredible for when they become adults and, and they have this, this treasured piece of what childhood was like. Like a lot of us don't, we have a smile, look at the camera and it's like, yeah, unfortunately there's not much more to that image as such. So then you're offering, obviously with COVID and stuff, it's been quite difficult and you just said you moved to a new, new property, but from memory, Nikki, do workshops and stuff like that as well? I've done a couple here and there, mm-hmm. a little bit under duress. I'm sort of not really, I and mean, I haven't got anything solid under my belt with it, but I've, I have done a few and I really love to teach composition type work, like composition and photography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've only really done a couple to be honest. Yeah. And then, so obviously you're located South Island, New Zealand. Once COVID's all done, are you looking at traveling, doing family photographs worldwide or just New Zealand based? So the listener has a bit of insight. My biggest dream would be to continue to travel. And I mean, we were lucky enough to travel over the last couple of years with the kids. And it's, I mean, travel is amazing because it's such a, it's so inspiring because it's such a fluid environment and you never know what's going to happen. And there's something really cool with that idea that feeds into art and into life when you don't, you've got all this uncertainty because you know, when you're, you're uncertain, you don't know what quite what's going to happen. That's you on the edge and that's where the growth and the creativity comes from. So I'm pretty inspired by that. It's been pretty amazing being able to take my kids, but more than that, just being able to photograph families, anywhere and and all over the place it's just been such an honor such an honor having said that I would really like to find some more families in New Zealand as well because this is my home and this is the coolest environment so yeah who knows what's going to happen with COVID we're lucky in this country we don't even have it (laughs) so it's really easy to hunker down in our beautiful little islands and forget that the rest of the world's out there if you didn't read a newspaper we've life's normal gone back to normal for us barring our airports and our travel agents <laughs> mm. so we're in a really really fortunate position here very interesting time for everyone yeah it is indeed yeah we're so lucky i'm gonna put you on the spot nikki so could you share three things you think photographers could do now forget about covid but what they could do now to level up their photography skill or business or yeah three things anything come to mind Okay, so one piece of advice that I got kind of when I was beginning that has so much to me is just to keep shooting. So when there's nothing left to shoot or it's all been done before or the good stuff is all gone, that to keep shooting. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes some really, really powerful stuff comes out of that. So just to keep shooting, keep shooting, keep looking, keep digging and keep shooting every day. Love it. Even when you think it's all been done, which I... Th- I know is happening with COVID because you know, how many times can you shoot in your house? Well, I promise you, if you keep going, some really good stuff will come out. That would be one to be curious, which might link into that a little bit. So rather than, cause it, right back at the beginning, I kept hearing photograph your passion, whatever you're passionate about. And that, that was just like nothing like a, 
other than a brick wall for me because I was like, I don't know what I'm passionate about. I have to find my passion. And then I kind of forgot about the photography. I was so busy trying to find my passion. And Jen Ackerman, she's an amazing photo journalist. And I heard her say in a speech that she rates curiosity over passion. And as soon as she said that to me, I was like, yes, because curiosity is everywhere all the time. So if you follow your curiosity rather than try and search for your passion, so slow down, be in the moment, it's everywhere. Your curiosity is everywhere. Just have that faith or that trust to keep following whatever it is that you're curious in and keep going down that path. And that kind of fits in with a keep shooting and keep digging. Mm, Love that. Um, One more. Be intentional, be deliberate with what you do. Like that's also helped me. It's helped me put photos together in a frame. So everything that goes in there is in there intentionally for a reason. Um, It's kind of like a life thing too. just be super deliberate and intentional with what you do. I love it. I mean, it all comes back to being present, right? Like all of that. For sure. I love that. You can see it in your frames as well. I mean, everything seems to be there for a reason and nothing's really taking away from the eye. So this has been an honor. Honestly, Nikki, like I said, I think it was probably, oh, it must have been just when my son was born about six, nearly six years ago, five years ago, come on the radar, I'd say. And yeah, I mean, looking at your work today, I'm still so, so inspired. You literally make me pick up my camera and take more photographs of my son <laughs> and, you know, and I'm not trying to emulate yourself, but I'm just like inspired to document those little things. Like if the listener still hasn't checked it out, they have to go check your work. Even the kids jumping over a sprinkler or something, you know, just in the mud, like something a lot of parents would just be like, don't do that. You're going to get muddy. Like you're out there and you're involved in it and the kids look like they're living a free life and stuff like that. So it's absolutely incredible to have you on, Nikki. So thank you so much. No, it's an honor to be on here. Thank you very much. But yeah, definitely celebrate that stuff because that's where the stories are. Stories are everything. And that I guess that's one more thing is this stories are, they are just everything. I mean, they're all you have at the end of your life, right? They're all you leave and they're all you ever take with you. So if that's where the story's at, then... That's where it's at. Photograph it. We're so glad you have taken the time to tune in. If you found this episode useful, why not share it with a friend and be the light someone may need? Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This would mean so much to us. Ryan would love to connect with you beyond this episode. The links to everything and anything that was spoken about are in the show notes at www.escapingtheordinarypodcast.com. Talk to you next week.